That's fun, isn't it? That just happened right here uh, this morning. That, that came from a beautiful mind, did it not? We have creative people in our church. Those guys who made that movie are part of our church. And it's so cool that there are several, four different filmmakers who wanted to be a part of this film festival and have created these short films just for you, just for us to celebrate our transition into our future home. Isn't that fun? So you have that to look forward to over the next few weeks. And we obviously don't take ourselves very seriously. Uh, and we, we like to celebrate and get excited about the things that God's doing in our mix. At the same time, there's some work to do. And I wanted to give you an update on where we stand with this Regency Movie Theater. Because if, you've, if you're on the newer side, we've been in a process for like the last six plus months trying to get into this place, trying to negotiate for this place. And it started as a lease. And then it moved to a purchase, and they were like, yeah, we just want to sell this to you. And we were like, we just want to buy this from you. Uh, But they went to their bank, and they literally could not sell it because they own the whole corner, yada, yada. I can give you the details later. Uh, But they couldn't sell it. So now we're back to a lease. But we've agreed upon terms, and we're at uh, a 15-year lease. So we'll be in there a good long time. And we are, uh, what else? We are planning to be in there next summer. Summer 2016, we will uh, we'll be in that place doing this there. And I'm also excited to let you know that uh, of our $1.5 million goal to kind of retrofit, outfit, make that place awesome, uh, our early adapters, core leaders, many of you have already pledged or given almost a million of that to our goal. So... We have like a third, a third to go. And our hope is, my hope is, that everyone would play, that everyone would join in and be a part of it. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about it today than I will in the next few weeks. But over the next few weeks, what I want to invite you to do is to pray, to take this, to treat this as a spiritual journey, because it's a spiritual journey for our church, and to pray and ask if you're not yet giving, or even if you are, what God would have you to do to join with us, to step in and make it possible for us to be in this next place. It's really exciting, except for those of you uh, who are here like for the first time and you were invited by somebody and you told them, okay, this is a couple of you, I know it is. You told your spouse, girlfriend, friend, you said, I'll go with you today. But if that guy talks about money, I'm never coming back, <laughs> Right? Uh, I, I get that. I understand that. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Here's what I would ask of you. I, I share, I in my past have shared a similar skepticism. Uh, I've had bad experiences like you probably have in my past. And so I would ask you to do this. Would you trust me for 25 minutes? Would you trust me for 25 minutes? Because I am going to talk about money just a little bit, just for a couple of minutes at the end. This whole message is not about money. But for a couple of minutes at the end, I am going to talk about it because I have to. I have to, and you'll understand why, and I hope that you'll appreciate and you'll even respect how we talk about this idea. And you have to start, though, with trusting that I respect you and that at some level I I get it and and we'll, we'll start from that place. So if you have this little bulletin on the back, you'll see my outline. If you want, you can follow along with me. There's three fill ins. I'm going to tell you two stories from the Old Testament part of the Bible that set up, I believe, uh, very nicely where our church is right now and where we're going. 
And then I'm going to give you three really practical implications for your own life. And they also weave in with our Step In celebration. We're going to talk about one of the the most famous story in history if you're Jewish, uh, and that's the Exodus. It's been documented in films uh, recently and in years past. It's the famous story of when God asked this guy named Moses to lead a large group of people out of slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea, and with the eventual goal of getting to the promised land. And so God says, hey, I'm going to take you out. There's all these miracles, these things that happen, and he gets him out of there. Pharaoh lets him go. Then Pharaoh starts chasing him with all his soldiers. They get to the Red Sea. Moses famously holds up this staff. The waters part. God does it. He pulls these waters back, and this whole group of people walks across on dry land. They get to the other side. Moses, like, snaps his fingers or something, and, and God lets this water crash in on all the Egyptian soldiers. Crazy story. I believe it. Lots of people have believed it throughout history. Uh, and, and that is called the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea. Kind of a big deal. The story goes on that uh, Moses, they wander in the desert for like 40 years. Moses isn't allowed to enter the promised land. And uh, most of the people actually kind of die in those 40 years, but their kids grow up and they're ready to go. And God says, okay, it's time. I'm going to take you people into the promised land. You got you to like try to picture this whole thing. It's not like, it's not like us. It's, it's like every human in Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, and Costa Mesa following behind and like going together and doing this thing. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And so now it's time, it's Joshua's turn. He's the successor of Moses. And God says, Joshua, you're going to be the one who leads these people across this Jordan River, this another body of water right in front of you, between here and there, between here where we are and there where we're going, the promised land. And it's time. I want you to do this. And Joshua's like, okay, but it's going to be another 45 years if you expect me to build a bridge uh, that goes from here to there, the other side of this Jordan River. It's, it's flood season. The water's rushing pretty strong. What do you have in mind? And God tells him, I'm going to part the waters again. Joshua's like, awesome. But he says, but this time I want you to have your leaders go and actually step into the water, and then I will part it. So Moses is like, okay, or uh, Joshua's like, okay, I, I'll pass this along. And he tells the people, Joshua told the people in chapter 3, verse 5, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate is kind of a big fancy word that just literally means prepare, or purify, or dedicate. Prepare yourselves. Because tomorrow, God's going to do some stuff. He's going to do some impressive, amazing things. So in the meantime, let's prepare. Now, you understand what this is. You don't think of it as consecrating yourself, uh, but you have experienced what I'm talking about, I believe. Maybe you have been the kind of person just this weekend or in, in the past where you said, I need to consecrate myself before I go to church Uh, because of the stuff I did this very weekend. Uh, And if I just show up at church, maybe I'm going to get struck by lightning or something like that. Uh, So I need to consecrate myself. And and first, actually, I should find my car. And then then after I find my car, then I got to get this tattoo removed. It's it's misspelled anyway. And then uh, I should probably call my grandmother. and, And then I'll consecrate myself. And then I'll show up and just not make eye contact with Caleb right? 
We laugh because we get it and we've kind of felt that before, but it's also ridiculous because we know that we can't fix ourselves. You can't clean yourself up enough to show up and be like, okay, finally, now I'm, I'm good enough to, I'm good enough for God. It's ridiculous. We're all the same. We're all a mess. That's why we show up here because only he can fix us. You can't clean yourself up. You can't fake it. You can't, oh, maybe I should just do under like a bunch of rosemary things or beads or Hail Marys or, or things that I should do. Like, isn't that a thing? Shouldn't I? And God's like, no, you can't do it. You can't do enough. It's not about that. You don't fix yourself. You just come to me as you are. And that day, Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves and to prepare to purify, to dedicate, not because they could fix themselves, not because they could get all shiny and clean and religious, but because he wanted them to prepare so they wouldn't miss the miracle. Because they, just like us, have a tendency to get caught up in our own little worlds in our own little empires and building our lives and, and doing the things that we want to do and obsessing about the show. Did you watch it last night? Because it was amazing. And what can you think? My hair's a little dark, so I lighten it. And we get so obsessed with all these little trivial things. And, and Joshua's saying, hey, take the day and just eliminate all that stuff from your mind and get prepared because tomorrow God's going to do something crazy and I don't want you to miss it. I feel the same way about this. Let's prepare because God's going to do something crazy. Our church is already having a profound impact in this community, and it's going to be even crazier when we're in this iconic theater on the second busiest intersection in Orange County. Let's prepare. Let's take this seriously because I don't want you to miss it. It's going to be so good. Then the story goes on that God says, okay, I want you to... Joshua, leaders, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant and I want you to walk into the water. Do we have a photo of the Ark back there? So this is, you know, an imperfect photo of the Ark. But imagine this handmade wooden Ark uh, and it's, it's got gold, it's gold-plated. And it's just this beautiful thing. There were all these intricacies with the way that it was intended to, to supposed to be designed. We're not going to go into those details, but you just need to know that it was special. They carried in this ark the Ten Commandments on the tablets. It was a big deal, and it was recognized as a place where God met with Moses. And so they were like, this represents God's presence. We're taking this with us everywhere we go. And so they used those poles and they would carry it. And they had to use the wooden poles because they were told by God, don't touch it. They were just trying, God was trying to make them respect. This is a special thing. Don't touch it. And so generations later, after the whole, uh, you know, Red Sea thing, um, they, they're there and they're holding this ark. And God tells them, I want you to walk and step into this Jordan River. And there's an objection because the guys are thinking, we know history and we know that Moses, all he did was hold up a staff and the waters parted. Why do we have to get wet? And so they stop at the edge and God's like, no, 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 in you go. <laughs> Some of you need to hear this this morning. You're waiting for God to pave the way and do the miracle and make everything obvious and he's waiting for you to step in the water. 
He's waiting for you to get waist deep and show that you trust and that you're all in. And then he'll do the miracle. Stop waiting because he's waiting on you. So they get in and God parts the water. Just like that, they walk across dry land into the promised land. But remember, he asked them, prepare, prepare, because tomorrow I'm going to do this thing. I don't want you to miss it. Pay attention. This is going to be good. And then step in. Trust me. That's story number one. Story number two also involves the Ark of the Covenant. Several generations later, different guys are carrying this same Ark of the Covenant. They're carrying it back to their capital city. And the guys are walking along, and one of them stumbles on some loose rock. And to try to brace the ark so it doesn't topple to the ground, he reaches up and he touches it. It's a no-no. And he's immediately killed. And everybody else understandably panics. And they're like, God, how could you? Really? He was a good guy. He did what any of us would have done. It was just reflex. Like he tried... This is not right. God, you are dangerous. You are mysterious and unpredictable. And we don't want to take this further from here. A bunch of men are there, including King David. King David says, yeah, I'm out. Leave it here. This God, I don't know, I'm mad. He killed this guy. He could kill us. This is, this is crazy. So what do we do? Well, let's, there's a house over there. Let's, let's leave it at that guy's house. So they knock on this poor guy's door. He comes to the door. They're like, do we have a proposition for you? And he says, no, I don't want solar panels. I, I, I'm good on the solar. Just go away. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not solar. Uh, we have the Ark of the Covenant. This is like God's presence. And we want to store it at your house. He's like, what? What are you talking about? Why don't you guys want it at your house? And I, like, well, we live so far away and we're famished and we'll come back and get it. We'll come back. You have nothing to worry about. And the guy's like, okay, um, put it in the living room. And so they march in with the Ark of the Covenant and leave it in this guy, Obed, his living room. And the story goes that God blesses this man and his family, and everything that he has because of the ark and the presence of God. You imagine him going to work. It says it was there for three months. He goes in, and the boss is like, Obed, this fourth quarter performance is unbelievable. Like, where did you come up? What are you doing differently? This is amazing. Uh, can you tell me your secrets? And he's just like, ah, uh, yeah, uh, I'm working hard, and... Um, you know, God's in my living room, and, uh, you know, it's amazing because my wife and I, we've never had better sex, and uh, my kid's acne, gone, and uh, everything is just, like, amazing uh, because God's presence is here. You imagine? I mean, it's, it's crazy. David, King David, hears about this wildly unusual favor and blessing that this guy is experiencing. And he's like, um, let's get that ark back. I need, I need some of that back here in the palace. Uh, let, let's, let's go and let's get the ark. 
Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything that he has because of the ark of God. And David says, let's roll. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. In other words, if you can picture it, they're bringing this thing back from, from this guy's house. And they're bringing it back to the palace, to the capital. And, and they take six steps with it. And they put it down. And they pump their fists. And they're like, we're still alive. This is working. God didn't kill us. It, we're okay. And, and, and by the way, God is with us. He's going to bless us too. We're, we're six steps. And then they eat and they dance and they party and they play music. It doesn't say this clearly, but it's implied that they stop every six steps, put it down and just think, oh, God, thank you. We thought you were angry with us, and we still think you're a little bit dangerous and uh, mysterious, but, but thank you that we're still alive, and you're with us. Six steps celebrate. Here's the thing. God asks us to prepare for the miracle that he's going to do out there somewhere and to celebrate step by step the miracles he's already doing because God is with you. He's for you. The gods aren't angry with you. The God of the universe is with you. And you're not dead yet. There's more for you. So celebrate. God will do great miracles and God is already doing a great miracle if you're paying attention. So we prepare and pay attention and we celebrate at the same time, all the time. That's the invitation. This past week, I was, from, I was with some pastors from around the world. There were a pastor, uh, pastor from Egypt and Sri Lanka and Kenya and Germany uh, and then a few pastors from Mariners. And we were getting together because we've built these relationships with these guys that are leading churches and movements and awesome stuff around the world. And they all believe that God is uniting the church around the world and that he's whispering something similar. And here's how they talk about it. That God wants his church all around the world to be about giving each other, ourselves, and others a glimpse of heaven on earth. That when we pray, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that that's part of what our church, our gathering, our following after him, our going out and serving in the community, that's part of what that is, is giving people just a thin slice glimpse of heaven intersecting earth. Where else is that going to happen? I want to talk about three ways that you can bring a little bit more heaven to earth 
right now, today, this week. There's lots of ways. But as I prepared, these were the three that I felt like were most important for us right now. We are people, you are a person, learning to replace judgment with grace. We are people, and you are a person, learning what it means to replace judgment with grace. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We want everyone to know. We want everyone to know that God's grace is for them. Not just clean people, whatever that is. Not just religious people, whoever they are. Everybody. God's grace, his love, his mercy for everyone. Even them, whoever your them is. Even the person that is on the complete opposite aisle of you the person that you just can't understand, the person who's hurt you so bad, even them, we want even them to know God's grace. Yes, even the person that you secretly wish would have been the one to reach up and brace the <laughs> ark. That would have been better. No, we want them to know too that his grace is sufficient, not just for us, for all people. Next verse in Romans 2 says, So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, whoever your them is, and yet do the same things, or parentheses, different things, which are actually the same things, but you just think of them as different things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness that's intended to lead you to repentance. Hopefully you know by now that unhappy, prideful, judgmental, critical Christians are part of the problem, not the solution. No one changes because someone's wagging a finger in their face about how bad they're behaving. But who can resist the kindness of their creator saying, turns out I'm not mad at you. My grace is for you. My kindness is for you. For you. All people. So what we're doing in moving into this theater with more seats is simply trying to create more space for people to experience God's grace. They're your friends. They're your neighbors. They're the people you play volleyball with. They're the people that you teach with at school. They're your kids' coaches. They're your family members. We just want them to experience that grace, that kindness of God. Be a person of grace. If that's a challenge for you, if you find yourself continually pulled back toward criticism and judgment, then just take six steps and then stop. Ah, thank you, God. I'm still alive. Thank you for having mercy on me. Thank you for your grace for me. Help me to be a more graceful person. Take six steps. Maybe take six days and then come back and we'll keep going. But be a person who replaces judgment with grace. 
And then be a person who replaces comparison with gratitude. Comparison with gratitude. Colossians 2, 7 says, Let your roots grow down into him, talking about Jesus, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. What if instead of keeping up with the Joneses and comparing ourselves to everybody's American dream, uh, we were people that literally overflowed with thankfulness? Like, like our thankfulness entered the room before we even got there. Like it was so known and felt and experienced. It was like, this dude is just grateful. And by the way, that's fun to be around. He appreciates the things that he has. He sees good in all the little stuff. He's making the most of each day in the life that he has, grateful from one moment to the next. Even though things are going wrong for him, I like being around her because she lifts my spirits up with her gratitude for the beauty in life. I screwed this up yesterday because uh, my wife went to Costco and I was watching the boys, and the boys were like this uh, all afternoon. And I was like, uh, how do I try to like corral them and pin them into certain spots? And so I was exhausted. And she gets home and you know, pulls the car in and says, can you unload the car? And I'm like, yes. And I would, uh, sure. And I should want to, and that's perfectly, it makes sense. Uh, and I'm kind of talking myself into it, Yeah. I will unload the car, and I go out there, and I open up her car, and it looks like Costco has thrown up in <laughs> her vehicle. Uh, I don't know if they were, like, light on the boxes that hold the other boxes, you know what I mean? But we didn't have those. There were, like, uh, milk and kind bars, like, wedged into, like, every crevice of the car, behind the stroller, behind the car seat up in here. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Uh, I, like, taking these groceries in one at a time, and I started to let myself get upset. I got irritated. I got frustrated, which is so stupid because it's not like I have to go and pick the nuts and the berries uh, and like make the delicious kind bar. I just open it and eat it, right? We're talking about first world problems and yet we let ourselves get so frustrated over the dumbest stuff when we should be such grateful people. God is so generous with us. He's so good to us. And I let myself get all bent out of shape because of little dumb inconveniences. That's not who we want to be. We want to be people who are just overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude because that's compelling. And P.S., it's just better this way. Life's better that way. You'll enjoy your life more if you're grateful for what you have. Replace judgment with grace, comparison with gratitude. And then finally, replace obligation and obsession with generosity. Okay, this is the part just for a couple of minutes where I'm going to talk about money. <clears throat> just pre preparing you, uh, but it's going to be okay. It hurts so good. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so let me talk about these first two words, obligation and obsession. Obligation is guilt around giving. Some of you have guilt around this idea of giving your money. You feel guilt for how you've grown up or for some, how someone manipulated you in the past or, or for how you've seen it abused or, or whatever it is. There's this sense of guilt and a pressure, like I have to do something, I have to give to something, I, I feel this. Let that go. That's not what this is about. We don't want any part of that. There's no guilt. 
There's no shame. There's no expectation. No one in this church, in this community is going to be watching you, assessing your lifestyle, and like following up to make sure that you're giving. Like, you drive a really nice car. You should probably give a little bit more than your... <laughs> no one does that. No one cares. This is between you and your God. But here's the thing, and I believe this with everything in me. You can't keep growing if you're not giving. Like, you'll hit a cap in your own growth and development, in your own walk with God. You'll hit a stopping place, and things will get dry and stagnant and not fun, and you won't even know it's because you have just abandoned generosity and you're just clinging to what you got. It shouldn't never be out of obligation, but it should be because you love God and you trust him. And if you can't trust him and be generous, you have to ask yourself if you really believe that he's been generous to you. But don't give out of obligation. The next word is obsession. This is greed blocking giving. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you are obsessed with money. Greed has like its claws in you. And it's what, it's what drives you. It's what you think about. It's the direction you go. It's, it's at the center. It's preventing you from being anywhere near generous. And you know it. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Just like any addiction, it kind of has mastery over you for some of us. And just like any addiction, the way you fight it at least for starters, is with two things. You admit it and talk about it, and then you do the opposite thing. You replace it with the opposite action, which means you got to give. To break that hold of greed, you have to give. I wish that I could tell you that you could just adopt a lifestyle of exercise and a gluten-free diet and that you would eradicate greed from your life. That's not the case. You have to give. You have to do the opposite of the thing that greed doesn't want you to do. Proverbs 22, 9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. This proverb is talking about food, and it's also talking about blessings in general. That you will be blessed if you are generous with what God has blessed you with that you have what you have to be a blessing to other people. If you have been blessed, bless other people. Provide for those in need. Share with those who don't have. Invite, host, care for, meet needs. And related to our Step In campaign, if you have been blessed by God's work through this church, then bless other people. And open up more seats for others to experience the same kinds of blessing. It's who you are. It's who we are. It's what we want to do. Last verse from Acts chapter 10, verse 2. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. You just need to know, that being devout or God-fearing or walking with God and generosity, they just go hand in hand. They just go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. 
You will be more devout. You will be better connected to God to the extent that you lean in and move forward toward generosity. You just will. It's how this life thing works. Now, let me just talk to my friends who are skeptical and considering never coming back. (laughs) I want you to hear this. If you feel any weirdness from me or from the church, don't give here. Don't give here. That's not just talk. I actually believe that. Don't give here. But please give somewhere for your own soul. You have to. You have to become a generous person for your own heart and soul and your own health. God just designed you this way. He designed you that you cannot be satisfied hoarding for yourself. You will make money your master and you will be miserable. You must be someone who learns how to give, who learns how to share, who learns and is moving toward generosity. It's just better that way. If you don't trust me and you don't trust the church, just give somewhere else, but give. It's for you. And as you're obedient and you're trusting God and thankful for his blessings, he will bless you even more. I've discovered that you cannot outgive God. You can't outgenerous God. When I think I'm being generous, he ends up being more generous to me back. It's just the way he is. It's the way he's wired this universe. The question is, will you trust him? Some of you, in some area of your life, maybe it's generosity, maybe it's, it's another area of your life, but some of you need to step in today. You've been waiting for God to make the way crystal clear and perfect and all the right things in place, and he's waiting for you. Step in, get waist deep, then he'll do the miracle. Some of you just need to take regular steps and celebrate along the way. You're preparing and you're celebrating. Don't miss the miracles in the moment. They're for you. Enjoy them. God's with you. He's not against you. And then join us as we are becoming together, you individually, us together, a community of people who are full of grace, overflowing with gratitude and generous. Would you stand with me? God, thank you for your radical grace and love. Thank you that you don't make us clean up or get right or stop cussing or smoking or whatever it is before we come to you. You just say, come to me. My grace is sufficient for you. You're my guy. You're my girl. I pray that you would meet us here this morning. I pray that you would help us to courageously take our next step preparing for what you have in store and celebrating your goodness, your grace, your generosity the whole way.